The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. I'd also like to welcome everyone. I was uh, joking with Wynn at the beginning. I told her to tell everyone that we're experts on being busy. <laughs> I had a sort of a somewhat traumatic experience when I was a kid. Most of my relatives were on, grew up on farms, both my parents, and I guess maybe once uh, for sure, maybe even a couple times, we helped one of my um, <clears throat> uncle and aunts uh, kill the chickens and you know pull the feathers off. And you know that expression, like a chicken with its head cut off, right? That's it's a terrifying image for our work, I mean, in the most exaggerated expression of what we're like sometimes, running around with our head cut off, strongly compelled to do, but, uh, and uh, so compelled to do <clears throat> that we don't feel safe, in a sense, resting back and contemplating, well, what would be a good thing to do in this moment? What would be actually helpful in this moment. And uh, in this kind of work that we do in these, uh, we call them the Living the Practice workshops that recently Wen and I have been doing together the last couple of years. And we're looking for those places in our life, these intersections between our spiritual practice and in particular kind of practices we do here at a Buddhist mindfulness meditation center. By the way, how many people are brand new or relatively new to Buddhist mindfulness practices? We have a couple folks. Okay, great. Well, welcome. Oh, you're not new. You've been coming for a long time. (laughs) That's because you're wise. (laughs) I feel new too. But, uh, you know, here with these workshops, we're interested in shining the light of awareness or learning how to show up in a more honest way to these places, in particular places where we have detected a lot of suffering, like being busy, feeling overwhelmed, feeling, you know, really oppressed by our to-do list or some ideas of what we have to get done, what life is seemingly requiring from us. So that's our purpose today. And it isn't, I mean, I joked, obviously, about we're being experts, but we're experts at suffering. And we're experienced at learning how to shine the light of awareness on these places in our lives where there's a lot of suffering. And then we see some things, you know. And that's what we do in these workshops together. I mean, Wynn and I will be sharing from our experiences, but together in small groups and large groups too, collectively we're going to be bringing awareness, a balanced, non-judging, you could say kind, tender-hearted presence to the experience of being busy. What that actually looks and feels like as a habit, as an activity in our minds and bodies. And just see what we learn from that, you know, paying attention in that way about this specific area of our lives, of being busy. 
And I'm sure most everyone already knows that it's an idea, right? It's an idea that we're busy. Like you could, we could at least imagine somebody looking busy, doing a lot, energetic, dynamic, but that person wouldn't necessarily, you know, characterize themselves as being busy. And there may be somebody just, you know, the sort of proverbial lying on the couch, you know, with a bag of chips, TV on or something, and they might tell you they're really busy, you know, and that that's why they're, you know, doing what they're doing, because they've been so goddamn busy for so long, and, you know, this is what they deserve, this is how they manage, or whatever. So it's interesting how busyness and so much of what we shine our light of awareness on are mental constructions, our idea about things, and then also usually what goes with ideas about things being identified or attached to our ideas, our opinions, our beliefs. So we'll be talking about that today. And one of the things in this kind of work, you know, a bunch of folks coming together using some of these teachings from the Buddha, mostly, I mean, they're quite sophisticated, but it really comes down to learning how to show up to life, to be intimate, to be sensitive with this balanced, kind, and over time, with more practice, unwavering presence, present moment awareness, right? So, you know, we'll be doing that together, and to do that, it takes a lot of safety. And uh, it will be just interesting for all of us to be reflective about, like, our attitude while we're here. Is it just another expression of our addiction to busyness? You know, and we're going to accomplish something or get something, and then we'll be different. And then because we won't be different, we'll be disappointed, and we need to blame the teachings, the teachers, the student the temperature of the room, you know, whatever it might be. So, uh, in real time, as as important as it is for us to be studying busyness today, we also want to be studying, like, how we're showing up to this workshop. And, yeah, just like, what does it feel like in our heart? What does it feel like in our body? Is it a trust? Does it feel trustworthy how we're relating to being here? How we're showing up to the material, what the mind's doing with it? And you know, over time, and I, I've been, I'm imagining that all of us to some degree have this intuition, like this intuition, like when we're that hamster or rat or whatever runs on the treadmill. I never had one of those when I was a kid, but. Some of you maybe had gerbils or, you know, and they just, to get their exercise, they run in the little treadmill in the little cage. And sometimes, you know, or over time, hopefully, we get some intuition about when we're just spinning our wheels, much ado about nothing. But subjectively, it can feel like we're being a good human being because we're you know, I must be a good human being because I'm working hard, I'm tight, you know, so 
I must be putting my back into this thing called my life project. But we want to have enough space, enough perspective to basically reflect on whether the, not, it's not enough that we're, we've got this sort of blunt effort going, you know, in terms of the real project isn't like to get to the end. The real project is to be free or to be happy or to be released, right? So it's not enough to like, well, you know, I, I sort of meet the low bar of being a human being because I'm working hard. You know, I'm willing to work. I haven't given up. You know, that's our low bar to being here. I got out of bed. You know, I ate something. I put some clothes on. You know, I got to work or I made that phone call. Or But the difference between sort of that not so skillful approach to being a human being and maybe what we would call more wise or spiritual approaches there are moments when we can be reflective like, is the kind of effort that I'm showing up with helpful? Or what sort of seeds are being planted given how I'm relating, given the kind of effort I'm making in my life? Or you could say the kind of intentions I'm acting out. What's getting set in motion? Is, is that what I want to set in motion? Is it setting in motion happiness or release, or is it setting emotion, you know, being busy, being tight, being afraid, being anxious? And so let's do that with here too, you know, looking at the kind of effort that we're bringing to being here today and what sort of seeds are being planted. Because it goes both ways. It's sort of that blunt effort of just working hard. Like I, that's what makes us feel good. Like I'm just, I'm working hard. Then, you know, 49% of the rest of the people in the in the workshop, so I feel good about myself. You know, at least I'm not falling asleep like that person over there. You know, or you know, spacing out, or you know, that person who's looking at their phone. So we use this, and then we feel a little bit better. Or, you know, we're the other way where it's like, oh, I can't get this or I shouldn't have come or it's like we're in life, we're doing something, but we don't want to be doing it. And like we can be that way in our important relationships, intimate relationships even, like with our cat. It's like, yeah, but I'm not really into being in relationship with the cat or another person or a job or even being a human being, you know, having a life. And that kind of effort, right, plants certain seeds too. So today uh, I'll talk the next 15 minutes about this, like one particular way, I'm sorry, one particular place to shine awareness, this whole relationship our mind has with sensuality, with sense experience. Right? When we'll be shining the light more on the mind and the attitudes of mind, the view in mind, the understanding in mind. And of course, they're very related. But, you know, when we look for the seeds of busyness, the seeds of being a chicken with its head cut off and running around and doing, 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 but always finding ourselves 
unsatisfied and tight and exhausted and like we're missing something. Like there's some intuition that it doesn't have to be this way and yet we find ourselves in these familiar patterns of efforting, doing, um, but not feeling like we know that much more about real, the real experience of release or peace or happiness. And that, that's very frustrating when we do look back and we feel like, you know, we've worked hard and it's like sand through the fingers, but what have we gotten? You're, we're just a little closer to death, you know? So what's that about? And we can either, like I, I, this is the, goes back to this point I've been making, in that moment, because we've all had that poignant moment where we've had a little bit more space in the mind and we've been reflective. And if we don't have some useful support and instructions, I notice in my mind is that my tendency is to rush back into any kind of efforting because to hang out in that space of knowing that I don't know how to take care of myself in the deeper sense is just too much exposure. Like, that's a yucky feeling. That feeling of, hum- uh, well, before humility, it's a feeling of betrayal and uh, shame even. Like, here I am now, I'm about to be 60 in a couple of weeks. You know, I'm this old. And I, don't, and I still do these things that are completely unproductive, don't actually move my life toward any kind of resonant happiness or ease or peace. doesn't resolve anything. Like the energy in is, or the exhaustion you get or the pain you get from doing that is so much more than anything that comes out. I mean, that's sort of the, like an economist view of life. It's like, what do we put in and what comes out? So that humility will be really important because no change comes unless there's that sort of shock. Basically, the shock of realizing we're a beginner or we ha- the mind has a lot to learn. We really don't know what to do with this thing called being a human being, you know, having the life, this capacity we have to do. We don't really know what to do with that, the energy that comes with being a human being, you know, this activity of our lives. What should we do? Where should we pour that life energy so that something beautiful, meaningful comes out of the project? And the first place to shine the light is what we call sensuality. I was rereading an article recently by Pema Chodron where she talks in a traditional Buddhist way about the three lords of materialism or the three, you know, you know, institutions of sensuality. There's form, which in Buddhism we mean the five physical the experience of the five physical senses. Form means sight. Sometimes body is used instead of form. So we see, we hear, we touch, we smell, we taste. Right? So that level, now how does this, we're going to look at that now for the next 10 minutes or so in terms of 
how that can feed busyness and that unproductive busyness, let's call it. And then the other lord of materialism, of sensuality, is our thoughts about form. You know, Because it's not just like pleasant sights or disgusting sights or pleasant smells, unpleasant smells. Pleasant touches, unpleasant touches, you know, all of our sense experience, but it's all of our thoughts about sense experience. And, you know, our mind, as sophisticated as it is in some ways, is not that sophisticated in other ways because my thought of a pleasant sense experience is kind of like that pleasant sense experience. You know, if I, if, if, if you just gave me some undistracted time and I really imagined myself you know, on a warm beach with the sound of the waves and a nice cool drink and, you know, the, the effect of that strong mental image and imagining would have some of the effect as the experience itself, right? Like, so in terms of busyness, it's not just like sensing there's some pleasant thing down the road, but even imagining it, whether it's down the road or not, can drive busyness, right? And it's just the same with the scary stuff, the, the unpleasant sense experience and thoughts about unpleasant sense experience. And then the, the third lord of materialism, sensuality, is even uh, certain mind states. You know, this is like the endorphin rush when you exercise, or just the competitiveness, like uh, you know, who doesn't like an underdog story? I mean, I don't watch sports much at all, maybe a total of you know, seven minutes a month, I'll catch a clip of something. <laughs> but you know, I saw the news about one of the final four teams from Chicago, Leola. Is that, I'm not even sure, Leola. <laughs> Or rural you want, that, that school. <laughs> anyway, it's a relatively small school and underdog, and so I watched some of the clips of their previous games. You know, and there's just that, like, David and Goliath kind of thing, right? And, and what does that do? You know, it's sort of like it brings some energy. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't need to be intimidated by things that look imposing because sometimes the little person beats the big person or something like that. So we, and you know, with drugs and alcohol, these sort of mood-altering experiences, falling in love or imagining that we're falling in love with a cabin or with a person or whatever, (laughs) whatever it might be, a car, an electronic device, these sort of um, little emotional dramas that feed busyness, right? It's the, the emotion itself that the mind is sort of feeding on. And it's just so interesting, this experience that we all have as sensitive beings. You know, we're sensitive to the five physical senses. We're definitely sensitive to our thoughts about sense experience. And we're sensitive to this sort of realm of emotion, even exalted emotion, so not just to the grosser level of emotions like you know pure lust or raw fear, but even the more sublime level of emotion. And 
The, the interesting question in terms of busyness, that given that we are sensitive beings, we're, we're totally unavoidably exposed. I mean, you can dull out, which is you know, one of the tactics we have when we're feeling fried from being busy. It's like we want to shut down, sleep, close down, numb out. But, but yet we remain. It's just that we're sort of choosing to be sensitive, exposed to numbness. It's not like an absence of sensitivity. It's just a particular sensitivity that we think distances ourselves from exposure. But of course, the cost is we're exposed to that feeling of numbness or being closed down or shut down or being dull. So it's just like there is no, as long as we're alive, maybe even after, that's sort of an interesting question that we don't have to address. But as long as we're alive, at least, we're totally exposed. It's just, that's what it means to be alive. That's what it means to have a sensitive mind. We're exposed, sensitive to sensuality, to sense experience, thoughts of sense, uh, sense experience, visceral emotions that affect the mind. And then the question is, what is a human being, what's the skillful way to relate to sensuality? Buddha has a very interesting discourse around this where he, he, he's basically talking about you know, what you should do if you're kind of, you see somebody who seems to know what they're talking about and you want to find out. And then you should, he says, well, you should ask them to see if they know anything about the, um, um, what's the word he uses? Let me just find it here. The allure, right? He said, you should ask them, tell me about the allure, the drawback, and the escape from sensuality. And if they can't say anything meaningful about that, then they don't really have any wisdom. So that's sort of interesting. So sensuality, again, is just the predominant experience of being a human being with this sensitivity to sight, to sound, to smell, to taste, touch, and then our total exposure to thoughts about those five gates, right, sense gates, and then the emotions we have, like falling in love or being afraid of those sense gates, that sort of emotional realm that's very much related to sense experience. So what's the allure, right? There's, there's an actual experience, right? I mean, sensitivity to sensuality wouldn't be a problem if there wasn't this allure, this actual experience of gratification. It feels nice to be on that tropical beach. Smooth sands, no trash. And you know, the nice sand, no pebbles. And then just not too many shells, right? Because they hurt your feet. And it's got to be white sand because the darker sand gets hot when the sun's out, right? It's like, and we have preferences about slope, you know, and like that surf, if it all crashes at the same time, it's kind of not a pleasant sound. But if it's that rolling surf, you know, that little, and then that sounds kind of good. Yeah, and the same thing with the seagulls, like a few birds, but if they're hungry and want your food, 
I don't know if we've been sometimes because Wynn has relatives on in New Jersey. We go to the New Jersey Shore, and it's kind of a it's a beautiful shore, but active because there are a lot of people live on the East Coast. And so the seagull gulls totally associate human beings with food. They're very they they can be aggressive. You know, sometimes you see little kids like feeding, putting some food out, like some bread, and then all the seagulls from all around come. It's like that movie, The Birds, that some of us watched when we were kids. <laughs> but this is the, the thing about um, like really getting the allure, like the actual experience, and then what's the drawback of sensuality? Right? That it always leaves us hungry. It never totally satisfies. Have, have you had the sense experience? Whatever it might be, tropical beach, making love, eating food, sleeping in a perfect place to sleep, you know, where you've got the nice wind through the trees, but you feel protected, or whatever it might be, has any sense experience completely taken care of your heart so that you didn't need more sense experience? No, we're always hungry. There's a restlessness that's the drawback of sensuality, is we're drawn to it because of the allure. There's actually a temporary experience of gratification. Buddha totally gets this. Anybody who's paying attention is not going to tell you that life sucks, right? Part of life feels good, right? When we get what we want. It feels good when we get what we want. Or it even feels good when we get rid of what we don't want. That feels good, too. Like you're sitting, and then the bell rings. You get to stretch your leg out. That feels good. So there's the allure. There's the drawback that we always end up hunger. That doesn't remove the hunger. Doesn't remove the restlessness. And then there's the escape. And I'll just mention this briefly because we'll be talking both when and I will talk about it later in the day. But you know, the escape is understanding this shift, this it's real paradigm shift of how as a human being with this fantastic exposure, you know, like how we see, how we smell, how we touch, how we think, how we emote and are touched by emotion. And even not only our own, we're sort of these boundaries are pretty porous. So we even like feel the emotion. I mean think this is part of me watching the film clips of the basketball, it's like you kind of sympathetically resonate with all those happy fans who never thought their basketball team would go to the Final Four. You know, it's sort of like we sympathetically resonate with that a little bit. Or you watched the shooting in Sacramento and sympathetically resonate with all those people who don't feel safe, who, you know, live with this kind of ongoing injustice where it's not safe to be in your grandmother's backyard or something like that. So it's this real paradigm shift about uh, what, can, what is possible for our human heart, our human mind, in this reality of exposure to sensuality, right? We're just living, breathing, swimming in sensuality, and there's no way out of it. You know, you can imagine you're going to a cave, but that's just another version of sensuality. 
or these, you know, now people are writing books, talk about <coughs> busyness, about, you know, stripping down. They're mostly New Yorkers, you know, like only living with, I forget what the number, of, anybody remember these books? How many? A hundred? But anyway, they have these books like, I spent a year with only this many objects, you know. <laughs> but the thing is, they're just as much swimming, breathing, living in sensuality as the guy, person in the mansion, or, you know, whatever the person might be. Because it's just, it's really the very definition of being a human being. So part of what we're going to do today is look at that switch. And, and um, what we're going to do next is a small group just so we can hear each other's voices. And there's a particular way to do these small groups where you sit close together so you won't be disturbed by the other small groups. You won't have to raise your voice. If everybody is sort of sitting further, far apart, then in order for your small group to hear you, you're going to talk loud, and then everyone else will talk loud, and you're going to have to talk louder. And it kind of interrupts the, the sort of strength and the intimacy of the small group. So sit close, and we'll spread around the building. Say your name, so you might, in the transition to the small groups, get yourself a name tag. Either you have one already, or you can make yourself one. I put them on the shelf in the lobby, so make yourself a name tag. But say your name, even though you have a name tag, say your name, so people will know how to say it. And decide what order you're going to go in. And everybody gets about three or so minutes. If you're an earshot winner, I will ring the bell, but some of you may be down in the basement, then find somebody with a cell phone to time, about three minutes each. When that three-minute bell goes off, take a few seconds to finish your thought. Don't feel like you've got to just freeze and cut it off. Thank the person who just spoke. You know, you could nod or you could just say, thanks, that was great. And then the next person, and then the next person. And then we'll have almost 10 minutes for more of a, loose, open-ended discussion. That's where you can ask clarifying question or share experiences that were similar to somebody else, what you heard somebody else say. But when you're listening to the person, you don't respond at all. You're just there receiving in that very receptive, open, kind place. It really helps to be intimate with your body, feel the sensations in your body. It makes you a better listener when you're with that person. And that way, each person gets to be held and received by the three or four other people in the group. Well, we have four people or three per group. Um, so, you know, four times three, 12 minutes, five or 10 minutes for open discussion, a little break time. So we're talking about 30 minutes, maybe a few more minutes for this section. And the discussion, which you're going to share, and you can contemplate this right now, so when someone's speaking, you can actually be listening to them. You're just going to choose a couple, probably not more than one or two, three at the most probably, places in your life around sensuality. You know, places maybe where there's been some obsessiveness, like really thinking that sense of a promise, like if I get this experience, I'll be happy, you know. And you might just trace all the way through, like when the thought of having that sense experience arose in your mind, what was that like, how your mind over a period of time dwelled on it like it would come up and you'd obsess about it, what did that obsessing or thinking about it feel like, look like in your mind, what was the view, what was the promise of that. It could be getting rid of something or getting something, right? So it could be either side of the same thing. 
and then especially talk about getting it. What was it like the moments before you got it? You opened the present or stepped into the nice warm bath or you know, whatever the sense experience was. What was that anticipation like? What was the actual experience? Really reflect for your small group on the pleasantness, the allure, the gratification, and then any intuition about the drawback, like how the happiness of the allure and gratification was limited. And it reinforces a mind that's dependent. That's the drawback. Dependent meaning it's still hungry. And now it's hungry and it wants to be fed. And it knows how to, like our cat and dog, it knows how to provoke us to give us, give, you know, for us to give them more food. Just like we know how to provoke ourselves. You know, the chips are right there in that counter. You know, the, the which, whatever is in the fridge. It's calling for you. If you don't take it, your partner's going to take it. <laughs> better eat it while it's there. I could be hungry later. I better... St- it's like, they, you know, that's the new thing with pain meds. It's like you don't want to get behind in your pain meds because it's hard to catch up. Some of you know this, either by helping someone or having your own more serious ailment. And it's like that we can think that way about everything. It's like, yeah, my, my iPhone's working fine, but it's older. It could crash any minute, you know, and the battery's not as good as it used to be. You know, I could be really in a busy time in my life when it finally crashes. I should just take care of it now. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm not tired, but this is a good time to take a nap. So, you know, we kind of keep doing that. So talk about the allure, the drawback, and then any intuition about escape. How does one get off of this treadmill around sensuality where the mind is always hungry for more And that hunger is only temporarily interrupted in those moments of gratification. You know, temporarily we get a little respite and we pick up and are enslaved again by the next, whatever the next thing is. Okay, does that give you enough to go on for the sharing? This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, Or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.